Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all damn thing there, keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. 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 Hello and welcome back to another episode of this Unomics podcast. First things first, make sure you check out Patreon, patreon.com. Dysonomics for written articles, videos to come soon. Sorry, I'm so slow of editing, but I'm gonna learn. I'm gonna be good. Um, an exclusive podcast which will be coming in 2021. I'm, I'm trying to switch things up a bit, so look out for that. So jump on Patreon.com. It's an app. We can go online. The last thing I wrote was regarding broke shaming. Quite a lot of people like that, so check that out. And you should see some stuff across the week. This week's episode is going to be predicated mainly on Brexit, but I want to touch on Christmas. So Merry Christmas or Merry Christmas belated or whatever the phrase is. I hope everybody had a good Christmas. I hope people were with their loved ones or friends and family, etc. And they had a decent time, nice food, good gifts, all that stuff. And definitely my condolences to people who have unfortunately lost people throughout the year. I know Christmas is a tough period, so my thoughts are with them. And if you know people that have lost people or are in a sh- tough time, I think it's very important that, and especially in this holiday period, that you make your presence known and you show how much you love them and all that stuff. So yeah, this week's podcast, I'm going to touch on Christmas, but more from the business perspective. So how has COVID impacted Christmas spending and the numbers and what wider impact that will have on certain industries and us as consumers? And then I'm going to discuss Brexit. So this week, I believe it was, what day was it? It was Thursday. We had a Brexit deal. The UK signed a trade agreement with the EU and that's predicated on certain stipulations. So I want to have a look at that and how it impacts us as well as how it compared to the deal Theresa May signed, I think it was last year, 
or maybe 2018, I can't remember. Life's a blur. So that's going to be the crux of the podcast. Cheeky bit of Brexit, cheeky bit of Christmas. Make sure you're following on Twitter, underscore Nomics. You're following the podcast, Instagram page, Dysonomics Pod, as well as the page, the main page, Dysonomics. I put my COVID updates there. I had a young Brexit one last week, or last week as you'll be listening to this. So make sure you check that out. Also, shout out my guy, Andre, doing the sound, making sure that my sound is as good as possible because we're doing it for so many years. Merry Christmas, Andre. You are an absolute G. On to the episode, Brexit and Christmas. Hi, I it's MXM and listen to the Dysonomics podcast because it's late. Yo, people, hope you had a great, great Christmas. I had a decent one, got to see my family. I was like, wow, my family ain't that bad, you know? <laughs> so it's nice to see family. I hope everybody's safe, everybody's blessed, everybody's belly's full and all that good stuff. We're going to start this pod by discussing the impact of COVID on Christmas retail. So I was looking at some articles and stuff and according to the center of retail research, shoppers are expected to spend 27% less than last Boxing Day. So that's a quarter, more than a quarter um, reduction in spending between 2019 and 2020. And obviously COVID is the most significant proportion of that simply because a lot of people have lost jobs. There's a lot of businesses are out of, out of whack. People have lost money. Also people can't go to the shops um, and all that good stuff. Well, not good stuff, terrible stuff. The estimated spend is um, rumoured to be around 3.2 billion. However, half, more than half of that will be spent online. So we're seeing a similar trend of online retail becoming more and more popular amongst consumers. The number of shoppers was was also projected to be half less than the numbers um, of 2019, according to Springboard. So when I say the number of shoppers, I mean the number of actual physical people on the streets going to shop around Christmas period on Boxing Day, etc. And obviously, there's a very, very clear reason for this, COVID. So if you're in a tier four area, shops aren't open. Non-essential shops are closed. So us in London, people in Essex and south southeast and the east of England, we got hit by this. And more areas were added on Boxing Day. So <laughs> from midnight Boxing Day, retailers in these tier four areas were in the mud. They can't open. So, and, and we're talking about 20 million people were put under these tier four restrictions during this Christmas period. So that's 20 million customers potentially that could be on the streets, not on the streets. So naturally you're going to see this decline in numbers. Now, one small, small silver lining for the retail industry is that online retail is predicted to increase 59%. So that's from online sales, should I say, from 2019 to 2020, it's a 56% increase. Of course, I think COVID is quite heavily influential in this because if you're on lockdown, you're not allowed to go out and all that type of stuff, you can just do the same type of um, shopping for the most part that you would do physically, digitally. Now, if we look at a big four accountancy firm, PwC, they tracked daily promotional activity of 206 online retailers. And they saw that 90% of them offered some kind of sell around Black Friday before kind of raining in the discounts before the start of December. They also saw that there's been a higher level of promotional activity than usual. 
So we're seeing more and more promotions, more and more discounts, them emails coming to your inbox. Yo, 20% off, pretty little thing. Yo, 15% off matches. Do you know what I mean? We're seeing a lot more of that than we usually do. Retailers are offering retailers are also offering more targeted discounts than previous years, where they offer like a blanket discount and that's valid for all items on the website or brand or whatever. So they're kind of trying to target people on specific products in current spending. One of the, I think one of the reasons for this higher promotional activities, of course, when sh with lockdown, sales, of course, were down. So when you think about it, if you've been forced to close business for several weeks or several months, your inventory is still going to be there. Like you still have the same stock. So, and obviously, especially when it comes to fashion, where things go through the seasons and stuff, like things start to become more obsolete or not as trendy. So in December, coming to December, leading up to December, many businesses had way more in the inventory than they would have would have had in 2019 or 2018. And the best way to kind of shift that inventory is by offering um, discounts and promotions. So I'm not entirely surprised that we have witnessed a lot more of that. One of the biggest winners in terms of the retail industry in this calendar year was furniture retailers. They have been, they've actually been struggling to keep up the demand. So they haven't been offering the discounts often, often pants, shall I say, like other brands or not, I mean, other industries, shall I say, simply because the demand is there. Everybody's at home. So now you need to pattern what you're doing at home. Do you know what I mean? Whether it is getting better stuff or work from home or just kind of, you know, sh shifting up your work environment or your home environment to make you feel more comfortable or switch it up simply because you're there, you spend a lot more time there. Like I know so many people that are telling me they're getting their furniture in April next year and they've ordered it in like November, October. So many people that have houses, new houses, shout out all my friends that managed to cop their yards and the stuff. I've been waiting for furniture for months. Some shops just, so even shout out um, High Frequency Studio, my boy is telling me like he wants to pattern some furniture for the studio, but all these businesses are shut. So the demand is still there, but they're not able to meet the demand. If you look at DFS, the UK market leader, when it comes to furniture, they said <laughs> that mid-December, and this is them talking to investors, they had longer lead times for made-to-order sofas simply because of the demand. So they're just doing mad, mad bits, mad, mad bits. Sorry, my choke up, I was not speaking. So this year, this Christmas, with COVID, with people losing jobs, with businesses closing down, with businesses having more stock, with businesses not moving as many units, simply because of COVID, we are seeing less money being banded around, more discounts to kind of get us spending money. We even saw our Chancellor, um, Rishi Sunak, like encourage people that have decent savings to spend more to try to get some demand and get some money flowing in the economy. And yeah, it's very interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how long COVID impacts really last for businesses. And we'll obviously we'll spin the block and see how sales are affected in December 2021, of course, on this Economics Podcast. Now, that's Christmas out of the way. Let's talk about Brexit. So yes, on Thursday, after 54 long months, so four and a half years, I remember it like I was yesterday, June 2016, because I remember I was flying to Croatia the next month and the exchange rate <laughs> between the pound and euro has never been the same. There's been finally a deal agreed 
and that deal is likely to go through and be passed in the House of Commons because the Conservatives have a humongous majority. And Labour already, um, plenty of Labour officials already said that, yeah, we're going to back this deal. We're going to, you know what I mean? This is the biggest bilateral trade deal that's secured by either the EU or the UK ever. And this deal is said to be worth £668 billion a year. The EU, I can't remember the name. What's her name again? I can't remember her name. But she said €5 billion Euros will be ring-fenced, which means protected, to help companies impacted by this Brexit transition. So they put in a pool of money to help companies, allegedly. The UK is leaving the customs union and the single market, so we're no longer involved in this single market. And from January the 21st, most goods will be tariff-free. So in terms of us trading goods between the UK, so where you're ordering stuff from, from Europe or people in Europe ordering stuff from here, they will not have to pay an additional tax on top because we have a free trade deal. That's on goods. The EU and the UK have still have agreed to still cooperate as regards to crime, energy and data sharing. So there's still going to be a dialogue there and it's still going to be cooperation. There will be no more freedom of movement. So you can't just like you can't just up and live somewhere as easily as you were able to before. So uh, is the, the rules are slightly different for business and do you know what I mean li going to live there. So I'm going to that later. In terms of the UK, so what's being replaced like before, obviously, if you live in the EU, you can just come and live here, um, pretty much. The UK are going to introduce a points-based immigration system, which will come into place from January the 21st, no, January the 1st, 2021. So I might as well touch on this, the points-based system. Yeah, so from January 2021, free movement will end and the UK will introduce a points-based immigration system. This new system will treat EU and non-EU citizens equally, which you didn't before. Anyone you want to hire from outside the UK, excluding people from Ireland, because we have a uh, CTA, which I'll talk about later, will need to apply for permission in advance. You can't just up and just jump in. So under the system, anyone coming to the UK must meet a specific set of requirements, which will score points. Visas will be awarded to those who manage the pattern of points. So similar to how, if you want to get into the Champions League, you have to finish in the top four. If you want to get to U UK, you have to pattern up your thing. You're going to have to get enough points. So this is going to be a very significant difference for employers recruiting from outside the UK labour market. People, business need to adapt. We as potential uh, candidates who want to work abroad, we also have to, to adapt. So from January, January the 1st, 2021, you will need to have a sponsored license to hire most workers outside the UK. Of course, this doesn't apply to, to Irish citizens. So that's for all business owners. And the UK is going with a skilled worker route. So under the new skilled worker system, anyone coming to the UK to work will have to demonstrate that A, they have a job offer from a home office license sponsor. So it can't just be just, yo, yo, MXM, I've got a job for you. MXM, she lives, in, she lives in France. Yeah, come be like the editor for my pod. I'm not a licensed, as of yet, home office sponsor. So I, that can't run. Also, the job offer is at required skill level. So that's RQF, RQF3 or above. So that's basically A-level equivalent. So the job has to be an A-level equivalent job before and they have to speak English to the required standard. So like, if you are not fluent in English, you can't speak English at all, you are not going to be able to meet the new skilled worker system. Also, on top of this, 
the job offer must meet the apl- applicable minimum salary threshold. So this is this has to be either higher of either the general salary threshold set by the the government. So that's Her Majesty's government on advice and independent migration advisory committee, which is at twenty five thousand six hundred pounds, or a specific salary requirement for the occupation known as the going rate. So let me just go through this again to make it a bit more clear. So there's a new skilled worker system. So to get into this country, you have to have a a job offer from somebody from a business that has that is the home office recognised as a licensed sponsor. The job level has to have a required skill level of at least a level equivalent, and you also have to be able to speak some a decent level of English. Also, the job offer must be at least 25 over 25 and up 25,600 pounds or the good known as the going rate for whatever occupation so this is for them to try to protect british workers from maybe foreign nationals coming in and getting jobs for less than the going rate which makes which makes it harder for uk workers to compete because they can't compete like if somebody's gonna do the same job as you for less money it's a no-brainer for the business to take the person less money because it increases their profit margin so and also some people may say xenophobia i think there's definitely that to play but that's just my personal opinion all applicants will be able to trade characteristics such as their qualifications against a lower salary to get the required amount of points so if a job offers less than a minimum required salary requirement but no less than £20,480 they may still be eligible so remember before I said the job offer has to be the going rate or over 25.6k well if the job you've been offered is less than that but is it less than 20 20 and 20.5k you still may be eligible under these three conditions a job offer in a specific shortage occupation. So let's say there's a shortage of farmers in the UK or shortage of plumbers in the UK, then you may be eligible. If a PhD is relevant to the job or a PhD in a, sub, in a STEMs subject relevant to the job. So basically they're saying, yo, unless we're in the mud in terms of the labour force, or your PhD, so you're super qualified, is going to be very difficult for you to circumvent the skilled worker process. There are different salary rules for workers in certain health or educational jobs and also for new entrants at the start of their career. So obviously, if you're at the start of your career, you're not going to have the same salary, salary to command the same salary as somebody who's 15 years deep in the game. So... A first year nurse ain't gonna be able to command the same amount of P as a, somebody who's been a nurse for 20 years. That's just common sense. Now, a total of 70 points is needed to be able to apply to work in the UK. And here are some of the points. So I wanna go through the three mandatory ones. Remember, as I said before, offered a job by the approved sponsor, job at appropriate skill level, and be able to speak English. All those are mandatory. And you, the first two, so Having a job offer by an approved Home Office sponsor gets you 20 points. Having a job at the appropriate ski level, which is A-level and above, that's 20 points. That's 40 points in the bag. And being able to speak English will get you 20, 10 points. So, 
the mandatory gives you 50 points. So the so those ones that don't play gives you 50 points. So you're going to have to be able to get a further 20 points from things that are tradable. So for example, a salary between 20,000 £480 and £23,040, or at least 80% of the growing weight of the profession. So whichever one's higher. So if 20,000, in between £20,480 and £23,040 is higher than 80% of the growing rate or the growing rate is higher, you have to reach to hit one of those, one of those uh, metrics. But that doesn't get you any points. It's just tradable for something else. A salary of £23,040 up to £25,599 or at least 90% of the growing rate of your profession, again, this is whichever one's higher, that gets you 10 points and that's also tradable. A salary of 25600 or above or at least the growing rate, which, which is what I spoke about before, gets you 20 points. If there's a job shortage as designated by the Migration Advisory Committee, that also gets you 20 points. So yo, like there's not enough plumbers, that'll get you young 20 points. Educate the education qualification is a PhD in a sub subject relevant to the job, that gets you 10 points. And a PhD in STEM subject relevant to the job, that gets you 20 points. So those are the ways you can collect 70 points. So the on the government website, there's like um a case study. So they go a lab technician with a STEM PhD comes to UK with a salary offer of 21,000. They'll get 20, 20 points from the job offer, 20 points for having a required skill level, 10 points from English language, 20 points from STEM PhD, boom, 70 points. So they're on all these, this, that's, that's what they're on. There's also the global talent route. And from January 20, from January 2021, the global talent route will open to EU citizens on the same basis as non-EU citizens. That means the most highly skilled who can achieve a required level of points will be able to enter the UK without a job offer if they're endorsed by a recognised UK body as approved by the Home Office. So an employer will not need to be a Home Office licensed visa sponsor to employ a migrant under the, talent, the global talent route. This is designed to attract recognize global leaders and promising individuals in science, humanities, engineers, the arts, and digital technology. Top scientists and researchers can benefit from a quicker endorsement as part of the fast track STEM scheme. So as of November, 2020, here's the current list of, of the bodies, the Royal Science for, the Royal Society for Science and Medicine, the Royal Academy of Engineering for Engineering, the Royal Academy for Humanities, UK Research Innovation, that's for scientists and research, Tech Nation for Digital Technology and Arts Council for Arts and Culture. So if you can pattern, if you can pattern an endorsement from one of these bodies, you can come in. Now, if we're looking at the graduate route, the graduate visa will be available to international students who have completed a degree in the UK from the summer of 2021. So from summer 2021, if you complete a degree in the UK, you've got a graduate visa. This will enable international students to remain in the UK and work at any skill level for two years after they've completed their studies. That's an unsponsored route. So international students who complete a PhD in 2021 can stay in the UK for three years after their study to live and work. This will make it easier for some of the best young international graduates to skill skill jobs and the UK, to, and I mean, in the UK to help contribute to economic growth. So 
the government is really kind of being as elitist as possible. Um, uh, okay, let me talk about maybe I'll talk about two more routes. I'll talk about the startup and innovator route. So the startup innovator routes are designed to attract entrepreneurial talent and innovative, scalable business ideas to UK. Startups is for those setting up an innovative business for the first time and innovators are for those with industry experience of at least £50,000 worth of funding. So these routes, so you could, so if you have, if you're on this vibe, you're right. The health and care visa is part of the skilled work route. It will ensure individuals that working in eligible health um, occupations with a job offer from NHS, social sector, or organisations that provide service to NHS are able to come to UK. So if you've got a job offer from the social sector, people that work in the UK, or the NHS, or people in the NHS, or the NHS itself, shall I say, you are good to go. So those are the current, the main routes. Um, the UK is going for a very elitist um, immigration ruling so that's very different to what we had before with regards to the eu with freedom of movement so that's a very significant change now back to more stuff to do with the brexit announcement the eu have fought now have full legislative sovereignty the european court of justice has no jurisdiction at all when it comes to us that has come to end from the january 1st 2021 there was a lot of disputes regarding the fishing industry I don't believe most of Disnomics listeners really have interest in the fishing thing, so I'm not going to go on it too tough. But the fishing industry will get extra £100 million to help modernise their fleets. That's what Boris said. There'll be, according to the dates, according to the deal, like, data roaming won't be free in the EU. However, networks, they're still telling their customers, yo, don't worry, y'all will be patterned up. You won't be charged for data roaming. Yeah, so regards to Roman, EE, O2, Vodafone and Free currently have basically told the customers, don't worry, you'll still be able to, like in like 48 odd countries, you'll still be able to go to Europe and use your phone as normal to no additional charge. So that's good. Other networks, boy, it's a bit sticky for you lot still. I mean, thank God that EE have patterned up because I I quite enjoy being in Europe, being able to, you know, be at Nikki Beach, Sipping a young juice, young Instagram snaps, you know what I mean? Been able to talk with my friends or whatever, communicate with my friends as I'm out there. It's just such a such a such a game changer. So I'm happy that at least four networks, big networks, the main networks, have patterned people up. Now, um regarding the visa, the visa, sorry, I don't know why I'm speaking like this. Things have changed, but not dramatically. Well, well, it depends on your perspective, but here it goes. So on the gov.uk website, they've got a very good tool that gives a transitional check, gives information so they ask you questions, and then it will tell you the pattern. So I answered as somebody who's not a self-employed person, somebody that works. Um, I'm coming for leisure travel, not business. I don't have a pet. I'm on biz. I'm not trying to drive. And I'm not trying to stay for more than 90 days. They advise me to take out appropriate travel insurance with healthcare cover before traveling to the EU. 
because I may not have access to free emergency medical treatment and I could be charged for your healthcare if I don't have cover of my travel insurance. Um, another interesting um, point was also that there's a common travel area. So those people who have friends and family in Ireland, we can continue to live, work and study back and forth between Ireland and the UK as is normal. Another change regarding um, something that may be a bit different from January the 1st regarding travel, border control, you may have to show your return ticket and money. <laughs> so you may need to show your return or onward ticket. You may have to show that you have enough money for your stay and you're going to have to use separate lanes from EU and EAA and Swiss citizens when queuing. Now, regarding what people are asking, Fam, I'm trying to go Italy, I'm trying to go Switzerland, I'm trying to go Spain, I'm trying to go Germany, did it, Greece, all these places. What's what's going on? Am I going to need to pay for a visa? Is it going to come like the Ghana, Nigeria visa where I have to go pay 80 bar and queue for five hours? Well, look no further. I've got the answers for you. If you're a tourist, you will not need a visa for short trips to most EU countries, as well as Iceland, Liechtenstein, Norway, Switzerland. You were able to stay for up to 90 days in any 180 day period. Different rules will apply to Bulgaria, Croatia, Cyprus and Romania. So if you visit these countries and other, UA, other EU countries will not count, that will not count towards your 90 day total. You may need a visa or permit to stay for longer to work, study or for business travel. So we can still boogie and go travel, no wahala, do you know what I mean? As long as it's a short stay, which is less than 90 days. So we're eating Gucci as regards to that. So that's not going to be too terrible for us. So yeah, so that's the main thing with the Brexit deal um, with regards to the crux of it. They're going to release the thousand page document. Obviously, parliament members are going to be recorded so they can go through it and vote on it before January the 1st. There's going to be more information. There might be more de intricate details that we haven't been privy to yet. And of course, you'll see that on Patreon and maybe on Twitter and all them other things there. And to wrap this up, it's interesting to look at the deal, but the difference between the deals that uh, Theresa May signed compared to the one that Boris Johnson signed. So if we look at tariffs and quotas, both deals are the same. Full tariff quota, full tariff and quota eliminations. And with with Johnson, it was a full exit from the EU customs union. And but with Theresa, there was a de facto customs union with the EU. So that was a slight difference, actually. Sorry, I, I misspoke. With terms of customs, with Theresa May. There was like a legacy alignment and tariff elimination permit, suspensions to customs checks. Whereas with Boris Johnson's deal, there's full conventional customs protocols. In terms of um, um, level playing fields, this is when like essentially, yo, you can't be offering mad subsidies to businesses in the UK and they're able to operate at a cheaper cost and be able to trade and, and people in EU are able to buy goods from the UK at a cheaper clip than in the EU because that's bad for our businesses because they're going to be less competitive. Well, 
According to DATS, so if we look at Theresa May's deal, the UK is dynamically aligned with the EU in all key areas except service regulation, and they ensure a, reg a level playing field. And with Boris Johnson, the UK is fully autonomous but agrees to sustain current standards of labour and environmental protection and to comment common state aids, provisions, balancing tariffs. If the EU and UK practices diverge away, um, which is the diverge away to have created unfair advantages in trade, there could be that like, people can complain and make charge all of that stuff. Essentially, both deals were like, yeah, we're going to patent the label. We're not going to, you know, have given unfair advantage to EU companies or British companies. And I personally think that's a fundamental drawback in these deals because a lot of well there's a lot of propaganda in terms of why people want brexit but one of the main things from the people that i think probably were more informed of the situation that i thought that i felt had more valid and better reasoning was they saw the eu as a failed experiment and they preferred for the uk to be able to go out and explore other options as well as take back sovereignty of their borders and their and their laws and also be able to make the British businesses more competitive and have an advantage over the rest of the world. Well, in terms of, you know, having better advantage against the rest of the world, you've essentially said, yeah, we're going to make sure our business is on the same level and playing field. So it doesn't really make much sense to me. In terms of services, both deals exit the single market for services. In terms of financial services, cross-border trade based on equivalence regime, possibly expanded to new areas. And then that's the same for Boris Johnson's deal. Data, Theresa May's deal, UK receives EU GDPR. And then with the Johnson deal, aspiration for the UK to receive EU. So there's there's a, there's a bit different difference here. In terms of the role of the European Court of Justice with Theresa May's deal, UK alignment with Aquis binds it to EU, ECJ, um, jurisprudence so essentially we still have to be patterned when it comes to the eu laws whereas with johnson's deal e ecj has no role interpreting the agreement so different so there's some slight differences to the to the deals i believe johnson's deal is probably more hard brexit than theresa may's deal so I can't lie, Brexiters kind of low-key one. Outside the level play the level the level playing field, Brexiters won. So yeah. That's it for this week's podcast. Any questions, hello at thisonomics.com. Any collabs or anyone wanting to yeah, any brand collabs, whatever, hello at thisonomics.com, hit me up. Any ads, hello hello at thisonomics.com, hit me up. Or any questions, suggestions, whatever, Dysonomics on Instagram, Dysonomics Pod on Instagram, underscore nomics on what's that thing called again? Twitter. And you can catch me on Clubhouse Dysonomics. You won't catch me in them bad vibes rooms. Like, nah, you'll see me in any educational rooms. I might be talking about COVID or economics or just busting jokes with my friends. So yeah, I hope you lot have a blessed week. And I hope by the time you hear from me again, it'll probably be a new year. So have a fantastic new year. Stay safe. Enjoy. Try to follow the rules as best as you can. If you don't, please be safe. And yeah, happy new year from Dysonomics. Peace and blessings. Sports Social Podcast Network. Every day we rise 
challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.